0: Thank you, choir. All I want is to be like you, Jesus. Good to be with you today. I'll share with you a few thoughts from the book of 2 Corinthians. Some of this has to do with perspective. And I have this little uh, exercise that a first-grade uh, first teacher did with her class. Um, to get their perspective on some um, well-known sayings. And uh, so she gave them the first half of the saying, and then the first graders were to finish it. So the first one was, Better to be safe than to punch a fifth grader. (laughs) It's always darkest before daylight savings time. Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. (laughs) Where there's smoke, there's pollution. If at first you don't succeed, get some new batteries. Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you'll have to blow your nose. And finally, if you lie down with dogs, I'm not sure what the other rest of that is, but they said you will stink in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes we need to adjust our perspective. And uh, Paul was trying to help the Corinthians to do that as he wrote, wrote to them. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. And um, there's two phrases in chapter 4 that I I'm focusing on. One is in verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And then in verse 16, he repeats that. Therefore, we do not lose heart. I began to look at the meaning of the text and what uh, each of those phrases refer to. And uh, I found four words that seemed to be woven in between throughout this text that gives us meaning and insight. The first word is covenant. And so there's a comparison to old covenant and new covenant. And the question for us today, are we old covenant people or are we new covenant people? We'll jump into that in a little bit. The second word is veiled. And so uh, there's this concept that uh, that's used in several different ways, but Uh, Some people have veils over their faces so they can't see who Jesus is. And that was a problem of the Corinthians. Uh, Paul, in his writing here, behind all of this text and these wonderful nuggets of truth we get, is Paul is defending his apostleship. And so he's trying to help the uh, Corinthian people to understand that he really is called of God and he is the apostle of God. But... Some of them evidently had veiled faces and didn't understand that. The third word is glory. And with both covenants, the old and the new, came God's glory. Uh, the greater challenge for us is whether or not that glory is in our lives today. We recognize and experience the glory of Jesus Christ. And the first uh, fourth word or phrase is jars of clay and it's about our perspective of the temporal things of our lives compared to the eternal. And so as we look at these, we're going to use those different words to try to help us understand the meaning of the text and what God may have for us to take home with us today. So the first thought has to do with the Old Covenant here. And this has to do with Moses on Mount Sinai. When he went up on the mountain, he received the Ten Commandments, came down from the mountain. And what was wrong with Moses? Well, the problem was, his face was really bright. In fact, it was so bright that people couldn't look at him. Uh, Have you ever seen anybody that bright? I know there's some bright people here, but um, we can all look at each other. I never experienced that. I don't know what that would be like. But obviously, it was has to do with the very presence and glory of God that was on the mountain. And Moses was inundated by that presence to the point that he literally physically was shining so bright. And so there's that other word, veil. Moses had to put a veil over his face so people could see him. Now this was a glorious covenant. The very presence of God with Israel came with all kinds of signs of God's presence before and after and during the giving of the, uh, the Ten Commandments. But the problem with this covenant is it didn't completely take care of the problems of Israel, their spiritual problems. And so Paul refers to it in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, uh, <clears throat> even though it was a means of righteousness... I mean, he talks about this covenant. Use the word ministry. So when you see that word, he's talking about the Old Testament covenant in this text. So, now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, the Ten Commandments, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it not, though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit even be more glorious? And so... This giving of the Ten Commandments put Israel in a position where there were things you were supposed to do and things you weren't supposed to do. And uh, I guess one of the questions for you to think about is, uh, have you kept all the commandments? Have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because we all should raise our hand. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need the forgiveness of God in our lives. We, we want to have a relationship with God, but in order to be with God, we need to be righteous. We need to be holy. Uh, and so, you know, the, the glory that shone on Moses' face had to do with that holiness of God. Uh, but Israel found that uh, they were struggling with doing the right thing and following the Ten Commandments, they fell short quite often. No matter how great God's glory was on the face of Moses and coming off of that mountain, the glory of the Ten Commandments, uh, Paul talks about it as a fading glory. Um, In 2 Corinthians 3, 13 and 14, We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it, but their minds were made dull for this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. So the veil covering the face uh, not only protected Israel's eyes because the light light was so bright, but in Exodus 34 we also read that it kept Israel from seeing the fading of the glory of God on the face of Moses. As days went on, uh, that glory, the kind of glory of God that was shining on His face began to fade. And Moses no longer was lighting up the room like he used to, but it was symbolic in Paul's mind of though how no matter how great this great covenant of the Ten Commandments was for Israel, uh, Israel still had a problem with evil in her heart, and time after time, uh, as a nation, she would move away from God, even despite all the wonderful. Miraculous things God had done for Israel, they still struggled with it. The law engraved in the stone tablets, those Ten Commandments, was not enough to purge the evil from within their lives. Something more needed to be done. And that's the point Paul was trying to make, uh, that some of these Corinthian folks were still in old covenant thinking. They still had veiled faces. They were struggling with what was right and what was wrong, and uh, even lost in their spirituality in regard to that. So Moses' face becomes normal, and the Israelites could look at him and everything went along in a normal sense. But the Israelites struggled to keep this covenant. In verse 15, we read an interesting statement. Um, even to this day when Moses is read listen to this a veil covers their heart so in Paul's day rabbis were in the sanctuary reading from the book of Moses and Paul says there's a veil over their faces well what is this veil The veil has a lot to do with the fact that they had not accepted Jesus Christ. They struggled with who he was in their lives. And so even after Christ had... Remember, Paul's writing this many years after Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and uh, and the church was filled with the Holy Spirit, and God's great work was ongoing. But even at that point, the veil was there. Uh, And I ask myself, is it so today? Is the fading still there? You've had some things that have faded away in your life. I got to thinking about what do we have in our lives that fade, besides our physical bodies. (laughs) Uh, And I thought about a new car, you know. How many of you had a new car? Well, how long is it new? Uh, The glory begins to fade at some point. Uh, One of the therapists I worked with a few months ago bought a brand new car, and in less than a month, somebody hit it, and the glory was kind of faded away (laughs) from that brand new car. No matter how much you pay for it, uh, the glory fades. Uh, But even more to the point was uh, I've had several clients who've had lake properties, and uh, they all get excited about buying this lake property, and we're going to be up there and enjoy the the lake and swimming and fishing and swimming and fishing and swimming and fishing. But then they get a hold of this property, and, and I'm not anti lake property by the way. Uh, but there's work. The glory begins to fade. You got to mow the grass. You got to fix the broken doorknob. You got to cook meals. The glory begins to fade. It's, uh, I remember one gentleman who had had a lake home, did have a lake home, and it was handed down to the family, so it was a family heirloom. and He didn't feel like he could get rid of it, but it was just a drudgery. Had to put the piers in in the summer and in the spring and get the boats so they run okay and mow the grass and rake the leaves and fix this place in the lawn. And, and that's all I heard. I didn't hear any joy. Oh, man, it was just a wonderful day at the lake today. Uh, The glory had faded. And I think Israel became that way spiritually in her relationship with God, that the glory had faded. They couldn't see uh, the truth of the Lord and what it meant to be a follower of Christ. They couldn't accept Jesus Christ. And so Jesus rather bluntly confronts this blindness uh, particularly in the Pharisees. And so there's a few texts here I'm going to look at that, ha- that kind of illustrate that. and one is uh, Matthew 15:14, and people are coming to Jesus and asking him about the, uh, what the Pharisees say. And he, Jesus says, "Leave them. Get, get away from these Pharisees. They are blind guides. And Jesus says, "If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit." Their view of God was so distorted that they could not see the very presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Compare that. They could see the glory on Moses' face when he came down from the mountain. And there was was no question that this was of God. But when Jesus came, uh, born of a virgin, all the miracles that Jesus did, they couldn't see God in the face of Jesus. Wow, what blindness They had. The second text is uh, Matthew 23. And uh, these guys here, I don't know where they're going, but they're not going to get very far because they think the other guy in front of them knows where he's going. Blind leading the blind. But that particular chapter is full of warnings to the Pharisees, primarily, to the religious leaders of the day. And, he's, and then in verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides! And he describes them as going out of their way to win a convert. But what they teach them and what it is to follow God and be a follower of God uh, gets them, leads them literally into hell, Jesus says. They're going the wrong way, and they're leading them into a life of destruction. Uh, The third text is John chapter 9 and in that chapter there's that familiar story where there's a man blind from his birth comes to Jesus and asks for healing and Jesus makes that spittle of clay and puts it on the eyes and tells him to go wash. And when he does he's able to see. Man, he's excited. He's jumping up and down. He's telling everybody, look what Jesus did. And uh, people started asking questions about, oh, who is this? Jesus. And some Some believed the man, and others thought he was just a a fool or somebody making up stories. So the Pharisees got a hold of this, and they they said, we've got to do something about this. And so they bring the man's parents in, trying to find fault, and surely this can't be true. And they find out from the parents, well, yeah, he was blind when he was born. He never could see. And so that was uh, the struggle that the Pharisees had. And they thought, well, there's got to be something wrong with this. can't be right. And they oh, yeah, he healed on the Sabbath day. He must be a sinner. And so they tried to present Jesus as a sinner to this man who had been healed. And the man says these words that are on the screen, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Uh, Jesus had touched his life and changed him and the veil was removed. He could see who Christ was, and he was a believer because of what Christ had done in his life. Later on, John records these words from Jesus uh, that God had blinded their eyes. He's talking about the Pharisees and deadened their hearts. Uh, Despite the miracles, they wouldn't believe in Christ. They never could come to the place where they believed that Jesus was Messiah. That's Old Covenant. That's stuck in the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament covenant with God and with Moses and doesn't move on to the spiritual victory that God has for us. Uh, they, the Pharisees said it can't be true. He's a sinner. And so they put their mark on the, on the negative side of Jesus and said, See, yep, I know he's, he's no good. And that led them eventually to crucify Him. So Old Covenant is very different than New Covenant. There's one thing that makes the difference. You know what it is. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I've not come to to destroy the law, the Ten Commandments, but I've come to fulfill them. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah was prophesying about the Messiah, and he talks about, Uh, God is going to write the law where? Not on tablets of stone anymore, but on your heart. Tablets of our heart that God's going to write the law. That means that He literally is going to dwell in us so that we would be directed and guided through the Holy Spirit. So, the old covenant is a fading glory, but the new covenant is an ever-increasing glory. We find that in verse 18 of chapter 3. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, Paul is saying the veil is removed when we believe in Christ. He comes into our lives and it's an ever-increasing glory. It's, it grows from day to day. And for year to year in our life, we begin to experience more and more of the glory of God. Some of you are new Christians. You're just starting out in this walk with Christ. But I can guarantee you, if you stay true to the Lord, you're going to experience the glory of God. He's going to be, reveal Himself to you. Uh, Paul said we're being transformed day to day. Because of the very presence of God in our lives. So Christ is what makes the new covenant. It makes us new covenant people. So we need to turn to Jesus and see. Um, these. We, in verse 18, Paul talked about having unveiled faces. And that we're being transformed in His likeness. And in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 6... Uh, I like this verse because it talks about Jesus as being the light of the world. Um, For God, who said, Let light shine out in the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. They had the glory of God in Moses' face, but it faded away, it didn't stay. But we have the glory of God in the face of Christ, and it's never fading. It's an increasing glory. It's one that is always there if we turn and see Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world. You remember that old song? Some of you don't even know it, but uh, the light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light is shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon thee. Once I was blind, But now I can see the light of the world is Jesus. He removes the veil from our face so we can see God clearly and understand what he wants in our lives. So what are you looking at? Are you looking at Christ or are you looking at the old covenant? Stuck there, not being able to see Jesus clearly. Well, in chapter 4, in verse 7, Paul talks about these jars of clay. We have this treasure. The treasure is our relationship with God. This spiritual life that we have that uh, is transforming day by day. That the glory of God shines in our lives. And we're made new and renewed daily by it. Uh, But this treasure is in jars of clay. This body. These things that we have that are material are like jars of clay. They don't last they crumble. They're easily broken. But he gives us some comparative thoughts here with these jars of clay. He said, We're hard pressed, uh, but we're not crushed. Do you know what it means to be hard pressed in your life? Do uh, you know what it means to struggle with things that you can't resolve and feel like the weight of the world is on you? Uh, Paul says, New covenant people. People who believe in Jesus Christ don't have to be crushed by those things. They can be lifted up because Christ is there in the middle of it. We're perplexed. Uh, there are questions that we can't answer. Uh, there's uh, situations that come in our lives that, at least readily, we don't have an understanding of, why does this have to happen to me, or why did this happen to happen to so-and-so? Uh, but it does happen. We're perplexed. But Paul says the New Covenant people, people who believe in Christ, are not in despair. Uh, we're persecuted. Well, I was reminded after the first service, You know, I made the comment that here in the United States, in America, we've been protected quite a bit from religious persecution. And in our lifespan, we've been able to worship as we please. We've been able to uh, give voice to what we believe in our world. Uh, But there are places in the world where you can't do that. Uh, There are countries in the world where you can't just say the name of Jesus out loud without there being retribution. Uh, You can't express your faith but it's invading our country too, isn't it? Yeah. There's this veil on people's faces. Uh, these young people in this college that were told to stand up if they believed in Christ and they gave literally were killed because of their faith. Uh, that's persecution. And it's creeping into our society. Um, there's national struggles on values and beliefs that we hold dear Uh, and it comes to the point where there are our nation is divided about who Jesus is but I can tell you this if we see Christ any less than the Son of God the Savior of the world the one who died for our sins and and the only way to heaven is through him if we see him any less than that then we we have a veil on our face. We're blinded. We can't see where we're going. And we'll we'll move farther and farther away from God. Paul said we're struck down, beaten down, but we're new covenant people are not destroyed. Even when we're persecuted, New Covenant people, people who believe in Christ, they're not abandoned because He's there with them. In our in in our last Short period of time in our life. We've, we've, in this past few months, there have been people that beheaded because of their faith, and that's just beyond belief. But you know, Jesus was right there with them, and we'd like to see some miracle where God would come down and just wipe them out. But that isn't what the Scripture says is going to happen. At least not yet. It will someday. You know, Satan doesn't want us to see Jesus. He wants to keep a veil on our face. He wants to put a veil on our face, even though it may not be there. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world, a God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And you notice the word God. The G is small letter. That's on purpose. Paul wrote that clearly to talk about Satan wants to put a veil on your face so that you can no longer believe in Jesus Christ. And uh, so I asked the question, what is Satan using to veil your view of Christ? I think we need to look at that in our lives. What is it that keeps me from really seeing Christ or causes me to doubt my faith? And I think one of those things things that they usually surround uh, relationships or things in our lives. Uh, And uh, the more selfish I am in my thinking, the easier it is for Satan to put a veil on my face so that I think I deserve this. I ought to have that. And we move farther and farther away from Christ. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Him clearly in our lives. So in verse... 16 of chapter 4, we read again, Paul says, Therefore do not lose heart. And he describes uh, outwardly we're wasting away. Uh, the things that we have, are this body particularly, and I'm sure Paul was probably feeling it as he wrote these words that he was no spring chicken anymore. He knew the body was going to give out someday. So he said, outwardly we're wasting away. Some of you are young and don't, you don't experience that yet, but you will someday. You know what that's like. Um, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. What is that? That is the presence of God. That is the unveiled face. That's the glory of God shining in our lives through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. The, ha- the laws of God are written within our heart." rather than on tablets of stone. We have light and momentary troubles, but they will achieve for us eternal glory. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He doesn't change. He's the same. Uh, Max Ocato, in his book, Traveling Light, tells a story about Lloyd Douglas, who's the author of The Robe. When Lloyd was attending college as a young man, he was living in a boarding house. And on the first floor was a retired wheelchair-bound music professor uh, who lived there. And uh, Douglas would stick his head into the professor's room every morning and said, hey, what's the good news? And the old man would pick up his tuning fork and bang it. And he would say, that's Middle C. It was Middle C yesterday. It'll be Middle C tomorrow. And a thousand years from now, it'll be Middle C. The tenor upstairs is off key. He's flat. The piano across the hallway needs to be tuned. But that's Middle C. God is our Middle C. He doesn't change. What He wants from us on the, in the day of Moses is the same he wants from us in this day. What he Jesus asks of us is to be his followers, to believe and trust in him, to recognize that his blood is efficacious for our sin. And if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who will forgive us and help us experience anew and fresh the glory of God. So how do we fix our eyes on Jesus uh, we do it uh, by staying in the Word. We need the Word of God in our lives. It's powerful and effective. It helps us overcome the veils that Satan would try to put on our face. It renews our faith and increases our uh, faith in God. And prayer life, spending time with God, communicating and sharing with God your cares and concerns. When you are perplexed or when you do feel uh, that Uh, there are struggles in life that you don't understand, to be able to turn to Jesus Christ and talk to Him about that and let God work in and through your life. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. I encourage you to look within yourself and ask, uh, where is Satan trying to veil my face so that I don't experience and see the glory of God? So that you too... Uh, can move away from that and put your faith fully on Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Praise His name. We're going to stand together and sing a closing song. And if God is speaking to your life, you're free to come down and, and uh, bring it to the altar if you need to do that. We'll be happy to pray with you. But keep your faith on Christ and in Him alone.